0: Ben! Benny! Up here, Ben! Daddy? Benny! Ben! Ben! Hi, Ben! Daddy? That's my home now, son! You want a balloon, Ben? They all float. Come here, son. You'll like it down there. You'll never, never have, have to, to grow up. the industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily abused. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeks of the industry.com. And now, your host, Chunky Larry.
1: Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to a very special episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeks of Stitcher and Apple Podcast. I am your host. My name is Chunky Larry, and I'm getting to do something right now that I absolutely cannot believe I'm getting to do. Um, in in the in the early 90s, there was a mini-series that was released that when you were a kid from the 80s, everybody who wasn't supposed to saw it seen it, and we were all deathly afraid of clowns following. Uh, this is a film that, before Nightmare on Elm Street, really inspired the creative juices within my mind to start to uh, mix, and it's it's just a pleasure because uh, I, I fully intend to try to speak to as many people from this film as I can, but the one person that I absolutely wanted to speak to is the first person that I get to speak to, uh, because... And I'm sure he's heard this before, but he was essentially my avatar into the world of horror for a very long time. I completely empathized with the character and everything that he had went through, uh, so much so that when I became an older man and I had children of my own, uh, my second-born son was named after the poem that he wrote to Beverly Marsh. Uh, So this is Again, just a thrill and an honor to have him on. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brandon Crane. How you doing, man? I'm doing
2: good. That uh I
1: don't deserve that. welcome. that uh, was You you totally that do. That was epic. I uh, wow. and you know, I I'm I can't even undersell how big of a deal this is to me because straight up, like, you know, for me when I when I watch horror films, I, you know, my it's just like listening to music. When when you're a kid, you listen or watch what your parents want to watch. But then when right. you reach a certain age, you get to decide for yourself uh, what you want to consume and everything like that. Uh, so um, I, I have two kind of stories. The, the story that I tell most often is the story of Nightmare on Elm Street when I did a sleepover with a friend and it changed my life. But... <laughs> But there was you know when when this miniseries was released on television, uh, my mom was a huge Stephen King fan and my dad loved my mom so uh, we <laughs> we all we all sat down in the living room and, and even though she knew that she probably shouldn't be letting us watch it, she let us watch it and it broke my brain and, and I'd said that this was... The the starting point of my creativity, and what I mean by that is that um, immediately after the show had ended, and the the story had been told, I it started going to a new school, a new elementary school, and I was kind of an ins uh, like an introvert and kind of didn't really talk to people. So you,
2: you were uh, Ben, you were Ben Hanscom,
1: yeah, and yeah. and so I. What I ended up doing is this was right around the beginning of like computer class where they wanted to teach these kids these crazy new things called computers. Oh yeah, I've I've heard of that. (laughs) And so uh what I did rather than talking to other people is I started reading books, but more importantly, I wrote from memory the story It and I wrote it from your perspective and it was it was the the weirdest thing because i like i tried to follow the movie but when i watched the film as you know and I, i'm sure that you've had people say this as an overweight kid you were immediately my conduit to what it meant to exist in that world because i completely understood everything that that character was going through and the desire the the longing to you know, want to have this, this, you know, relationship with this girl that he had a crush on, wanted to be Mm -hmm. the cool guy and the jokester like, uh, Richie wanted to be, you know, cool. And it it just, because, because of the way that he looks, nobody saw all of the things that he possessed inside of him. And that was, that was an amazing story. And it just, it really compelled me in in a very interesting way to want to write, and I and I know that you've undoubtedly heard this story uh, countless countless times in in countless different ways. But that is literally why you deserve every kind of bit of praise that I am going to extol upon you uh, through the course That's of this awesome. conversation.
2: That's uh, awesome. That's I, I I have to say I I that was the first time that I'd been given a a, a more three-dimensional uh, character it wasn't it was another role you know where weight was an issue obviously it was, you know, a, a central um, it was definitely the weight was a, a central theme with Ben um, but there was more to it than that I, I wasn't someone who just you know they'd pan to and there I am caught sneaking candy again or you know eating snacks it, it was it had nothing to do with snack Let's put it that way, Mm -hmm. right? And, um, and so I, I, I jumped at it. I, um, and all of those things that Ben felt, I, I I was feeling at the time. It was the perfect time for me because I didn't really have the guts to just lay it out, you know, Mm -hmm. to a girl that I like, um, like my friends could. Um, I, because of what I did, I moved a lot. Um, so I, you know, my tenure at a school would maybe be two years at best. And then it was like, hey, let's move across town or let's move to a different city. So uh, okay, we're closer to LA or, you know, I, I moved around quite a bit. And um, so I, uh, virtually every aspect of Ben's character, um, you know, not having um, a, a father really. I, I, I was ready for this. I mean, this was, this was a chance for me to do something that was, you know, challenging and, and way more meaningful than being the butt of a fact joke. Um, but I, it was definitely something that I already embodied, yeah. so it was it was it was really natural for me to be in that in that position and in, in in that role.
1: And, uh, and I, I, I would I would even just I'm sorry to cut you off, uh, no, but I really- would even go so far as to say that if if you look at the the roles that you were given kind of leading up to that, you, you went from doing like He-Man commercials and, you know, <laughs> right. uh, you know, Mr. Belvedere to right. playing this character on the Wonder Years that is essentially, you know, a fat joke. And, right. and the same thing on like Full House, like that, that was, that was the perception, and I feel that it was a role like Ben Hanscom that really redefined, it, at least for me, what an overweight character could be. You know, because right. I, th- I think that we're more than the way that we look. and Of course we know, are. Specifically, women always say, you know, I'm not just a pair of breasts, I, I am a person. Uh, same with us. <laughs> I'm not you're just right. a pair of breasts. We're not just I'm a, pair a of breasts man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: right.
1: And so,
0: but you're right. But yeah, it, norm-
2: it-, it normalized things for a lot of people. Um, you know, even people who are that age watching it now. So, I mean, uh, virtually, I mean, a common thread that I get when I get fan mail or something like that, even after all these years, it is, you normalized me. In, in, inside, you know, that, that the portrayal, and this blows my mind because when I'm there, I'm not thinking of this as an opportunity to, you know, be a therapist mm-hmm. for someone, or I'm not really looking to touch anyone, um, you know, particularly I'm, I'm just doing my job. But when you hear that kind of feedback from people and, and just what that meant to them, um, I think passively it it, and I would realize it years later. It it, it meant the same for me as well. And, it meant the same for me as well.
1: And I mean, you you work on this film, you know, with what I what I'd like to say is just a very eclectic group, you know, everyone from Jared to Jonathan, you know, and and right. in between, you know, there's right. there's just there's no real through line or archetype that everybody's falling under everybody has their own thing that kind of makes them their own and that's kind of the charm of the book itself you know because obviously you know after i'd written (laughs) my own interpretation of the movie that i saw i ended up reading the book and oh boy (laughs) it's it's not like the tv show (laughs) and um no, it's not. But it but there's there's still those similarities, you know, where the 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 characters themselves aren't cookie cutter. They aren't these cliches. They they feel like very real people. And no, I'm
2: I'm surprised that they were able, even with four hours of footage, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still surprised that they were able to define, uh, you know, these individual people. Um, as well as they did kids and adults you know and it's uh, it's pretty impressive because you've got some characters that that do a 180 yeah. you know they through the, through their um, you know through their development as they become adults and others that, that don't obviously but you can still see the, the through line you can still see the common thread between the grown-ups and the kids in this film. I cannot wait to see what they end up doing. With the second uh, feature,
1: and uh, to to add on to that, the through line uh, that's one thing that I noticed is that they they gave character twerks or quirks that uh, the older actors could kind of use to tie into who they're playing. Specifically with you and John Ritter, uh, because yeah. because you guys. You know, the, the story of Ben Hanscom is that, you know, he, he's this kid who's overlooked because of the way that he looks and, you know, goes off, m- moves away and meets this asshole of a coach that really inspires him to drop the weight and become, you know, essentially the man that he's always been. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind the of touched of on a little bit. Package. Yeah. It's, it's kind of touched on a little bit more in the book. Um, when they talk about the architecture and, uh, the library and his obsession with architecture because of the library. And they, they kind of hint on that in the, in the newer film, which, which I liked. But, um, I just felt like there was much more emphasis because they had so much time to really delve into the emotional strength of those characters, rather than you know the you know kind of nuts and bolts of what happened in the world, and and that's that's I think Absolutely. the strength of both of the films is that they they delve into the characters rather than you know getting everything a hundred percent correct because at the end it's a character-driven piece. But but I want to I want to get away from it for a bit, just just for a little bit, and uh, talk about you. Because you grew up in acting, correct?
2: Right, I did. I did. I started when I was four. Um, my grandfather was an actor. He was in uh, Gone with the Wind. He was one of the twins that, uh, in the very beginning, opposite uh, George Reeves, who would later become Superman, That's and awesome. uh, and the best man at at, uh, at his wedding. Um, really? You know, they were. Yeah, you know, yeah. They were. They were friends. They went to school together at the Pasadena Playhouse. Um and uh, yeah, so anyway, they it's in it's in it's in it, you, you can say it was in my blood, right? Yeah, I, don't know if I believe all that. But and then um, my grandmother's father was a, a big vaudeville, um, you know, theater star around the turn of the century. And then he ended up running the makeup department at uh, at RKO Pictures. I mean, so there's I have kind of a, a family background in it. Um, But there was a lady at one of my grandfather's parties who thought I was funny and decided um, that maybe I could, I would do well in commercials. So she signed me up and uh, away I went.
1: And was there any hesitation with your parents with you doing something of that um, respect as far as, you know, your education? Because I know that, you know... Being an actor, you know, and being a parent of an actor, I can only assume has to be really frustrating because, you know, there's a level of rejection that comes into play whenever you enter the world of entertainment and to have to explain to you said you started at four. Uh, yeah. You know, to explain to a four year old, oh, well, they didn't really like you for this Kix commercial. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> like, well, it's...
2: luckily, you know, if I remember correctly, it didn't really play out that way. And it was always uh, my choice. You know, it was because at the time when I started, I lived in Escondido. And, um, you know, so that was a, a heck of a drive uh, to go off to LA to audition for things after school, whatever. So it was always when I could do it. It wasn't, you have to be here. Um, and when you're four, you don't really, at least I don't remember ever taking any real interest in things until I was like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't get it, I didn't get it. It was an easy lesson to learn. Um, you know, and I, I never really took it personally, especially when you walk into a room and there's 50 kids um, you know, all waiting to do the same bit you're going to do. It's a uh, You know the odds you have two percent odds of of getting the role
1: was there ever anything that you went up for that you wish that you got
2: there are a couple um there was (laughs) the uh the kid in uh so i married an axe murderer i i would have loved to have been head um (laughs) that would have been look at the size of that
1: boy's head (laughs)
2: Look at that head! No, that would that would have been good, but then you know, other things might not have happened. Yeah. I mean, there's there are a lot of things. I I don't recall many things that broke someone out. Um. That I missed out on.
1: So yeah. you were never like, oh, I really wish no. I could have been on the explorers or anything no, like that. No, no, okay. Nothing. And you know, you you do this acting thing kind of uh while you're getting an education or how does that work how does how does school and acting work for it it was
2: harder it was harder then. i know it's easier now because kids have more protection Mm -hmm. um you know the teachers didn't have to take time out to help you do things and every day you're on set as a kid you have to do at least three hours a day of school Mm -hmm. Right, to comply with the, the, the schooling standards. And um, so sometimes uh, they would bank time. So they'd just call you up and have you come in and do 12 hours of school so they could work you nonstop, you know, for four days in a row. Um,
1: and, and what are the hours for a young actor?
2: Um, I, it, I mean, I know there are certain rules, but. Um, you know, I, like when I was doing Wonder Years, I would get there at a quarter to six um, and be ready and be ready, uh, you know, to, to go on at eight or at least be in school by eight, um, you know, and put in put in some time. And then uh, we'd leave at seven or eight o'clock at night. Damn. Sometimes we would leave at two in the morning. It just depends on what we're doing. If we're shooting outside. I mean, there was one time when I was shooting one episode of Wonder Years during the day on a normal schedule, and there was an episode that was about four weeks behind schedule, and they had to do reshoots.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So we were working all day, and then at night, you know, driving out to Burbank so we could do some outdoor scenes, you know, reshoot. Um, you know, that that's challenging, but at the same time, that environment in particular um, was really nurturing. And, um, it was a lot of fun. So I never felt like I was really at work. You know, I'm not grafting behind a machine all day. You know, I'm, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, pretty lax.
1: And, uh, you know, when, when you get to the point where you've now been in this, this mega hit, because that's, there's, there's no other way to explain it, but a just gigantic, like, uh, global sensation, because that's what it was. It was, you know, it was risky in the sense that I don't think up to that point they did the uh, the miniseries for Stephen King thing since Salem's Lot. If I'm not mistaken I think that that was the last time that they did it. And um, for it to be as big of a TV event as it was and for you to be as recognized as you were, did you think alright, here we go, we're off to the races now is now is where it starts getting interesting or did you just look at it as a job and when you seen that it was doing as well as it did you it, were kind of uh, weirded out by it
2: it was really just a job um, you know what had happened um, on, on several occasions is um, the, the process to get the job uh, was really long by comparison I mean there was a lot of time that passed for me between the first audition and the callback and then like a final callback and then you know so there was so much time in between those events that um, I really thought it was just another job I didn't get Mm. until the very last matchup when uh, someone I think it was a camera operator I'd asked him and you're really not supposed to do this but I said who else are you considering for this? And um, he said, "Well, we're looking at kids from everywhere—you know, Dallas, um, New York, Vancouver, um, Seattle—but uh, but I think it's going to be you." So I left there with full expectation. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, "That that would be amazing! Wow!" You know, I but I I, I didn't feel like I'd made it felt like, um, it would just be another feather in the cap.
1: But after it is released and it is received the way that it is, were there offers that started to come in or was that Uh, not a thing?
2: I don't know if it really wasn't a thing for me because I, I was, you know, more of a a day player. Mm -hmm. I was, most of the stuff that I did was all guest star work and, um, and I was already busy. With Wonder Years, and that was about the time when um, I was working the most on that show. So I think I think an episode of a couple episodes of Gary Shandling's show came out of that. Um, right. There was one episode that was called uh, Nathan's Sheer Madness, and they needed a kid uh, to stab you know a bucket full of blood and pretend that he was murdering his parents. <laughs> um, in, in a way. Yeah, in a, in a very strange way um, that only Gary Shandling could could pull off, um, and then get a life uh, you know came as a result of that, uh, and then I just went back to work on Wonder Years and, and did that for a few more years, and then um, and then kind of kind of dropped out so I could uh, finish school and um, and find something else. For a little while, I wanted to be a cop. Really? Oh yeah
1: like yeah. uh like a beat cop or a detective oh, did you oh, have no, any no, no, kind I just, of
2: I just wanted a really bitching car with lights and sirens
1: <laughs> you really love chips is what you're saying
2: Oh I did I love chips and uh, you know but it, it, it didn't really work out it, it really wasn't for me I, I it, I'd involved myself in a couple of organizations and um, it just the more I saw the more i I realized it just wasn't for me.
1: And when when you get to college, you discover acting again, correct? That's that's where it happens.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's where it happened. I uh, I needed another half unit to get my full um, my full boat, so I could get an insurance discount. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I tell myself. I was really looking for just an easy A. I thought, I don't know how hard could it be? I, I went and I signed up to to be a, a stagehand for. Um, for the, the production at school.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I remember being on stage and uh, there was a, a really huge scenic shift. And I was lying on my back and the set was made of a turntable. So I'm on my back as I'm on this turntable that I had no idea it was gonna spin during this transition. And I watched all these lights change and I watched, you know, the the contents of the box that I'm in, you know, shift you know, magically around me and I thought, oh wow, this is this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I, I tried out for the the next play that they did and got a nap and um, and that was the rest was the history. And you
1: know? being from the world of television and and then going into the world of theater, yeah. there there's they're two different beasts, and this is something that I always try to talk to whenever I have an actor on that's done any kind of work in theater. Uh, and I know that a yeah. lot of it is projection, and you know, being able to take beats and have you know cuts and things like that. And you're riding off of the the energy of the audience. But was there any? Was there any yeah. real? Yeah.
2: I had a few with reality. I thought, you know what? This is going to be a cakewalk. You know, when rehearsal started for this show, for example, it was Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought, oh, it's going to be cakewalk. You know, I've done this for forever. I've done this for 15 years. This has to be, I don't know, how hard could it be? Um, and I, you know, one of the guys that I was acting opposite against, um, he actually stopped. Mid scene, and said it would be really helpful if you looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, okay, yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. I, I didn't know what I was doing in that regard. I mean, yeah, you can in, you can inhabit a character, and, and you can you can do things, but but there needs to be a technical uh, capability. You you have to. It it is a crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, that word is so overused.
0: But it really is.
2: It has to be something that you develop. Um, and I learned very quickly how to be present as opposed to making sure I didn't screw the lines up that they just changed 10 minutes ago. You know, it, it was it was definitely about being present. And, and it was I learned all the things that would have been great to know then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if I knew those things, then I would have been unstoppable.
1: Right. Now, um, did you, after doing this and and really kind of picking up techniques, say to yourself at any point, you know I can kind of volley this into something I've already got some screen credits um, yeah, maybe take another swing at this
2: yes, and I was I was determined uh, to do that but i I really found um, a, a love for theater mm-hmm. and um, and musicals, especially. Um, I, I I could always carry a tune, but I became driven to uh, to be a legitimate singer, and uh, I really liked the size and the scope, the scale of um, of musical theater. So I jumped pretty much right into that, and I did that um, mostly. In my twenty, uh, you know, through my twenties, uh-huh. um, with the occasional commercial, instead of the other way around, you know, uh-huh. it just it just sort of worked out that way. And uh-huh. I, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it any differently. I I loved doing uh, the theater work.
1: And is there? Do you have a particular favorite uh, musical? <sighs>
2: it's kind of tough. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, doing Tommy. I did the uh, regional uh, premiere of Tommy right after it closed on Broadway, and I was cousin Kevin. Oh, you know, nice. this sort of torturous, you know, you know schoolyard bully. Um, and I, I, I loved that, that role. That was probably my favorite experience because it was a a, a wildly technical show. You know, with lighting and scenery and everything's moving. I mean, it's a rock opera, mm-hmm. and to have that kind of that kind of music underneath you, I mean, that, that was really energizing, and that was uh, that was, I think, to date my favorite thing I've ever done.
1: And it's also kind of a fun flip because you went from being the bully to the bully, right? Which is which is also right. very very fun. Um, I want to I want to point out something, and, and this might be weird, so. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, these these certain similarities have been brought to your attention, uh, especially with the release of the film It. Um, Mm -hmm. But, just certain things that I've noticed. Obviously, the most obvious is that, you know, the film was released 27 years after the original film. Uh, Right. You started as an overweight kid who dropped all of that weight, and you know became kind of a self-made man which you're doing just amazing with your business um outside of everything else with the web developing and everything which is mm-hmm. almost kind of like architecture um it is one of it is
2: eerily similar
1: one of the members of the of the loser squad um has passed away unfortunately due to suicide
2: that's
1: right uh so what I want to know is, has anybody approached you about being in the second film?
2: Hmm, it, it's it, it's is it I a mean, you no.
1: can't say kind of an NDA no, no, kind no. of thing? I mean, or? If
2: somebody if somebody says yeah, I can't really tell you about it, it means they are. Yeah, um, no, I mean it's 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 tough to to, to think about um, because. I think there are a lot of fans that love the miniseries and love the standalone feature. Mm-hmm. And I think there are uh, people who either hate the new one or hate the old one. You know, th- it, it can be polarizing. Yeah. I if you've been on
1: social good. media, you've heard it.
2: You've oh, heard yeah, both I've of those. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, you oh, know, I'm,
2: pretty, I'm pretty engaged in, in those, in those discussions too. I mean, I'm, I'm, i'm not hard to find you Mm -hmm. know on social media i'm pretty outspoken and um and i i love engaging with the the fans uh you know and i i i I think it's great i i certainly enjoy talking about it so um you know if there's people that have you know questions i'm i'm happy to to talk about it um so i've seen some really interesting commentary uh about it but i think there is a, a a large enough faction of people who, um, while they think it would be cool for trivia purposes, would love to, to just keep them as separate universes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, even, even the homage to, to, Pennywise in, um, even the homage to Pennywise in the clown room in the new feature yeah. was too much for some people. You know, whereas I thought it was cool.
1: Yeah, I uh, thought it was a nice you know? touch
2: is a nice touch. Yeah. But I, I see that there are enough people that are, are purists and they, they they would like to see them remain separate universes. And that includes fans of, of of the original miniseries as well. They they're not into that idea. So um yeah. That doesn't really answer your question. It
1: but, does. Um, it does. It it does in yeah. a very diplomatic way. Um the the one last and and I hate it's it's my least or favorite thing. that like
2: a politician. That was good. Okay.
1: It, it's it's my least favorite thing to ask an actor because it it seems dismissive of the work that they've done. But watching Tim Curry as Pennywise was there because I know that some some actors in horror films uh, when they play a villain they keep away from the protagonist just to um keep that beer kind of real was there any of that on the set or was it just like he came in smoked a cigarette they put the makeup on him and he (laughs) went crazy no he was
2: very quiet um he didn't go out of his way to menace us i mean he was very approachable there's a photo that's circling, that's circling around right now, uh, you know, where we're all standing around him and he's holding a Mad Magazine. I don't know if you've seen that one or not, but I he was it. very approachable. Um, but they, I don't know if they went out of their way to separate him from us. I think just out of deference, we stayed away from him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we let him do his thing, have his process. Um, and I think it worked out for us because. Uh, the minute we're in that centrum in the sewer and he comes on set and we're doing the rehearsals instantly, you know, shit got real. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the minute he comes, it's real. And, um, it, it was a, a master class watching that guy. And, and in, in many ways, truly terrifying because you never knew, uh, to what level, what depth he was going to come at you.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, especially when you when you talk about you know you understanding a little bit more of the techniques um, after going through college, you know, to yeah. be able to then watch the. F- I don't know if you watch your own work. I know that there, there's certain actors that refuse to watch their own work because they they are always gonna pick apart the things that they do, or yeah. they are too cognizant of the fact that this was a production, so they can't really. Look at it as a it, as a film.
2: It's kind of all it's kind of all of that for me. I I would never just sit down and watch my own stuff, mm-hmm. right? If I'm watching it, I will be hypercritical, and the rest of my night will be full of shit. It could have, would, Oh God, why did I do that? <clears throat> you know. Oh, I thought I did that much better. Um, we're going to be critical of our work, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't ever go out of my way to avoid it. I mean, it's a, it's a thing. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what it is. If it happens to be on TV and my kid would, you know, decide to watch it, then, um, you know, I'll, I'll hang out.
1: <laughs> and your daughter comes to you and she's like, Dad, you used to be charming.
2: Yeah. What happened?
1: What happened?
2: <laughs> my favorite is, oh, you were so cute.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Hey, hey!
2: Thanks. Were word yeah
1: anyway uh, last question and then sure. we'll, we'll start wrapping up uh, you being a parent yes and knowing what you know kind of from operating within the business and outside of the business should okay. one of your daughters decide that they wanted to go into this business would you be okay with it and if so what would be your advice to them
2: if it was the business as it was when I was in it, um possibly. Um the business as it is now, I would say no. Not a chance in hell. Um you're more than welcome to pursue it when you're older. Um but I I certainly wouldn't subject my kids to that now. Mm-hmm. It's a different it's a different animal. It's not to say that it was, you know, wonderful. I mean, you do see instances, well, kids that grow up in the industry, you know, a couple decades ago, and they, they never come out of it. Yeah. Because that's, that's the time of your life when your world and your perception of the world and the, your perception of yourself in that world uh, is at the height of its development. So if things are coming easy for you, your view of the world is going to be skewed your view of your place in the world is going to be skewed unless you have a grounding force and um, especially now mm-hmm. in the era of Jake Paul mm-hmm. hell no hell no
1: it makes total sense and I you know I had uh, given some thought to letting one of one of my older sons uh, do the photo modeling and it just... I I got maybe like dipped the toe in, and it was just like, "Ew, mm-hmm. no thanks. Yeah, uh, I don't no. like. I don't like the way this no, is working." It's
2: kind of weird, but if you know, if my daughter decided that she really wanted to do it um, later as an adult, mm-hmm. I would make sure that she had every uh, you know avenue of training available. I would I wouldn't put her into the world as a neophyte, you know, as someone who you know. You wouldn't just toss her in the water
1: who, and see if she swims.
2: No you know i would i would want to make sure that she had as many of the tools at her disposal as possible you know that means completing a program somewhere getting a lot of experience you know as much experience as you can because it is so competitive and when i was at it um it was you could argue it was just as competitive then because there weren't as many distribution channels Mm -hmm. there weren't as many opportunities as there are now Mm -hmm. but i think the expansion of distribution channels and opportunities is met with the amount of people that have flooded into the industry.
1: Yeah. The influx of people, everybody, especially with things like YouTube, everybody's that's a right. YouTube celebrity now. And that, that, that's right. You know, moves its way into those other things. That's and, it. And,
2: and, and they're chasing, they're chasing the fame more than they are the work. And exactly. I mean, you could all you could argue that that's how it's always been. Um, you know, anyone who tells you, I, I, I'm going to move to Hollywood because I just enjoy the work. It's just like saying I only read Playboy for the articles. <laughs> You're lying to yourself. The, the thought of becoming famous one day is, is you know, there's a potential for that. And if that isn't something that, you know, and it's okay to want to go for it, but that mm-hmm. cannot be your sole uh, purpose. Otherwise, you'll be willing to sacrifice any integrity that you have. Like I see with the YouTubers. I sound like an old man.
1: No, dude, you're, you're echoing exactly the way I feel.
2: Willing to sacrifice any shred of dignity that they have for the sake of likes and subscriptions. And to me, that's insane because that's fleeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, having your dignity is, is not. It should be lifelong. It should be something that you never compromise.
1: And that's a that's an excellent way to head out of here. Uh, please tell people where they can find you. I know that you have uh, BrandonCrane.com, but uh, yep. via social media, where can they look out for you and potentially interact with you?
2: Yeah, Instagram and uh, Facebook. It's uh, BrandonCraneTV, uh, and uh, on Twitter, on the Twitter machine, it is uh, Brandon Crane. Awesome. Easy to find.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you are definitely not hard to find, like you said before.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, you know, I, I, again, I'm gonna tell you, this has been a huge pleasure for me. I, I, I've told you already, I think you're pretty goddamn great. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> to, you, to be able to speak to the person behind that character, and see that he's just a fucking cool-ass dude, means a lot. Uh, <laughs> just personally speaking. Um, <laughs> but I I I cannot thank you enough. Uh But, you know, if you guys have gotten through this conversation, you're only here for Brandon, which I do not blame you, but you've enjoyed the the conversation, the show, uh, thank you. And you want to find out more about us, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash CreaturePod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at CreaturePod. Uh, but that is going to do it for us. I cannot thank you enough. But again for Brennan Crane and for myself again my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features podcast on geeks of the industry.com, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. You'll float too. If you listen, to someone you trust. <laughs>